Welcome to the Valley Avon Podcast, a weekly podcast provided by Valley Community Baptist Church, located in Avon, Connecticut. This week marks the beginning of our new sermon series, Cultivate, Time to Engage. Our church's vision is to impact the world for Christ, but what if you're not sure how you can personally do that? Senior Pastor Rob O'Neill explores this question in his sermon titled, Impact Revisited. Let's listen now. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we praise you today because you're working in our midst. You're working in our lives and you are working in our world. We give you thanks and praise, God, because in the middle of working, you choose to use us. You work through us. It amazes us that you would choose to do so. We seek to be available to you, God. So as you choose to work through us, would you make clear where and how you want to use us? In Jesus' name, amen. Today we're asking the question, what is your point of impact? What is your point of impact? A point of impact is the place where a a particle or an object or a projectile that's moving impacts another object. The two come together. Perhaps it can be the ground, perhaps it can be something moving, but when an impact happens, energy is transferred, force is applied, and work is done. The northern lights, believe it or not, result from multiple points of impact. The northern lights were actually out further south than normal recently, and I happened to be in Maine at the time. And where I was, we were supposed to be able to see the northern lights, something I've always wanted to do and never been able to accomplish. And I was so excited to hear the northern lights were going to be out where I was, and it was cloud-covered all night long. Deeply disappointed. The northern lights of the aurora borealis happen when charged particles come barraging at the earth from the sun. They hit the atmosphere and they get caught in the earth's magnetic field. And the earth's magnetic field moves those charged particles toward the earth's poles. And at the earth's poles, those charged particles from the sun impact molecules in the earth's atmosphere causing them to glow. Points of impact at times can be absolutely beautiful. Now, our church's vision is to see us having points of impact and to see that those points of impact can be beautiful, particularly when they begin to build up. You see, the amazing thing is God is the one who is building his kingdom. God is the one who is at work in the world. But as God is at work in the world, God chooses to work through us. And in choosing to work through us, God gives us gifts to do what it is that he wants us to do. God gives us all the gifts that we need to do what it is that he wants us to do. And that's where we as a church come in, because the people here at Valley and people like us across the Farmington Valley and beyond have amazing gifts. God has given us astounding gifts. And when the people of this church and people like the ones here at this church use the gifts that God has given us to impact the world, 
amazing things happen. So our vision as a church is to help the people of this church have an impact in the world for Christ. What is your point of impact? That's the question that we're asking today. That's the amazing truth that we're proclaiming today, that you have a point of impact. And what we want to do together is determine where that point of impact is going to be. And as we think about this point of impact and asking about our own points of impact today, we're going to look at a man named Titus from the New Testament, because Titus shows us what it looks like to have a point of impact. Now, Titus is an associate of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. But as you think about Titus, there's not much we know about Titus. In fact, everything that we know about Titus really comes because Paul mentions him. But even though he is, in a sense, a footnote in the correspondence of Paul, what we discover is that Titus had many and deep points of impact in the first century as the church began to grow and thrive. And so we want to learn from Titus today. How did he have impact and what does that say to us about how we ourselves can have impact? Now, as we look at the New Testament, what we're going to find is that Titus had multiple points of impact. Titus had multiple points of impact. Now, when you think about the other members of Paul's team, When you think about the better-known members of Paul's team, you're probably familiar with the kinds of points of impact that they had. Take the Apostle Paul himself, for instance. He was a thinker. He was a teacher. He was a church planter. He was a multiplier of leaders. We know those kinds of things about the Apostle Paul. Then there's his protege, Timothy, about whom we know a little bit more than other members of the team. When it comes to Timothy, it turns out that Timothy was an absolutely gifted pastor and teacher. He was a shepherd. Then you come to other famous members of Paul's team, like Priscilla and Aquila, who were people who used their business in order to plant multiple churches out of their homes. All of them, we know the kinds of points of impact that they had. Compared to them, Titus had lots of points of impact, but they may not be the kinds of ones that you would expect. For instance, we discover in the book of Galatians that, the, uh, that Titus was a bit like a sales engineer. You see, a sales engineer is a modern employee who serves as a bridge in technical sales and in technical companies between the needs of the customer and the technical capabilities of the company. The sales engineer can make complicated technical matters clear to a customer. And so in a sense, Titus was, in the book of Galatians we discover, a little bit like a sales engineer. Because you see, in the book of Galatians, we discover from the Apostle Paul that a controversy erupted in the early church. And the controversy was over the question, can Gentiles become Christians without becoming Jewish first? Can Gentiles even actually become Christians? And so a council was called. A group of people came together in the city of Jerusalem to debate this task. Paul went to that debate, and he took along with him Titus, 
Titus was the perfect person for Paul to take along because Titus was a Gentile. And Titus served to be a demonstration of what it looked like for a Gentile to become a follower of Jesus. He served as a proof of concept, if you will, that Gentiles can become followers of Jesus. He showed what it looks like when a Gentile becomes a follower of Jesus. And so we discover in Galatians chapter 2, verse 3, that Titus's mission to Jerusalem was very successful because the apostle Paul writes about it, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. So Titus served as a proof of concept of what a Gentile Christian looks like. In that sense, he was like a modern-day sales engineer. Titus had another interesting point of impact that we read about in the book of 2 Corinthians. We discover there that he was a bit like a diplomat. Because you see, the Apostle Paul, who started the church in Corinth, ended up in a broken relationship with the church in Corinth after he wrote the book of 1 Corinthians. There was a controversy that erupted between the two of them, and it threatened to rupture their relationship. Before the relationship ruptured completely, though, Paul sent Titus, his trusted aide, to Corinth to try to smooth things over. Paul waited for Titus to come back with news of what happened across the Aegean Sea in the city of Ephesus. He waited. He waited. No Titus. And so Paul left the city of Ephesus and went to the port city of Troas, the one that he assumed that Titus would return by, and he waited in Troas for Titus and for word. He waited, and he waited. No Titus. And when he could wait no longer, Paul set out across land, across Macedonia, walking to find Titus. And it was in Macedonia that Paul ran into Titus, and he got finally the news that Titus's mission as a diplomat to Corinth had been successful. And so we read in the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 7, verses 6 and 7, that Paul writes this, but God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. Titus had been able to heal the rupture between Paul and the church in Corinth. He was a diplomat. As we continue reading the book of 2 Corinthians, we discover that Paul also sent Titus to be a fundraiser. You see, the church in Jerusalem had dictated that an offering would be taken up to support the poor in the church in Jerusalem who were suffering on account of their faith. And Paul embraced this mission eagerly. He wanted to take up this offering to support the Christians in Jerusalem. And when it came time to take up the offering in Corinth, Paul sent Titus back to Corinth once again, and the church in Corinth gave generously. Titus worked very much like a fundraiser. Now, what we discover is that Titus had multiple points of impact. We know the kind of points of impact that other members of Paul's team had. Paul was a thought leader and a multiplier of leaders. 
Timothy was a shepherd, a teacher, a pastor. Priscilla and Aquila engaged in missional business and church planting. These are the kind of impacts that we expect. But what we discover is that Titus had many different points of impact. He worked almost as a sales engineer, somewhat like a diplomat, and even as a fundraiser, because there are multiple points of impact that we can have. Titus's biggest point of impact was unique. Titus's biggest point of impact was unique. And Titus's biggest point of impact probably came on the island of Crete. The island of Crete, you see, is a long, narrow island in the Mediterranean Sea, south of the Aegean Sea. It seems that Paul went to the island of Crete at some point in order to preach and teach and to start churches. And on this mission to Crete, it seems that the Apostle Paul took Titus along with him. And when Paul was done with his own personal mission, Paul recognized that there was still work left to be done. Churches continued to need to be started. Leaders needed to be raised up. And Paul recognized that there was something desperately wrong with the church in Crete and the culture in Crete. So he left behind Titus with a charge to continue and to complete the work that Paul had started. You see, as as Paul assessed the culture in Crete, Paul came to the conclusion that it was desperately broken. You see, even the Cretans themselves had a sense that there was something wrong with them. In Titus chapter 2, we read that Paul quotes the words of a Cretan poet who said this. One of the Cretans, Paul wrote, a prophet of their own said, in Titus 1-2 we read, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This is what their own people said about them. They said, we are liars. Cretans are liars. And Paul said, having been there, I agree. The island of Crete actually had a desperately bad reputation around the ancient world. People looked at the people of Crete as being immoral, even by the standards of that day. Consequently, it made life difficult for Christ followers. The Christ followers on the island of Crete were coming out of a desperately broken culture that was completely at odds with their Christian faith. And living then as Christians, when they came from such a desperately broken background, became very difficult for them. And so Paul was telling Titus to stay and to create something new, create a new future for the Christians of Crete and for the people of Crete. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 that we read together earlier today, what we find is the Apostle Paul encouraging Timothy to help the Christians of Crete live out a lifestyle that flows from the demands of the gospel. In chapter 2, verse 1, we read Paul writing to Titus himself this, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. As Paul says to Titus, But as for you... He's drawing a sharp distinction between Titus and the people of Crete. The people of Crete lived one lifestyle, and Titus was representing a lifestyle that was very fundamentally different from the lifestyle of the people of the island of Crete. But as for you, Paul said, and then he goes on to say, teach what accords with sound doctrine, meaning that 
Titus is to teach the Christians in Crete, in particular, to live a lifestyle that flows out of the gospel, that is built on the premises and the principles and the precepts of the gospel and the law. Build that kind of life. And so that's the life that is being described in verses 2 through 10 of Titus chapter 2. Let me just reread those to you to remind you what they say. Titus 2, 2 through 10 reads, Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, not showing, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So now as we think about this lifestyle that Paul is talking about here in Titus chapter 2, we can really summarize it with the three words, sober, self-controlled, and sound. You see, there's a lot of things that Paul says about each one of these groups, but those three themes really draw what he says about all of them together. He tells every group of people in Crete to be sober, meaning that if Christians are consuming alcohol, they're to be moderate in it and constantly to be clear of mind, not fuzzy in thinking. They're to be self-controlled and Actually, Paul uses a number of different words that form a a, a family of terms that imply that the people who are Christians in Crete are not to be given over to passions. They're not to be uh, known for their anger. Instead, they are to be known for their dignity, for their respectability, for their appropriateness of behavior and of speech. On top of that, he says that they are to be sound, meaning that their lives are to be built on things that are true and right and work together and fit in accord with the gospel. Now, as Paul says these things to the people of Corinth, he's telling them to do this in part because it protects the reputation of the church, because he's saying, if you live this way and if you behave this way, No one is going to have any cause to criticize the church in Crete. Beyond that, if you live this way, you're going to do something even more important. You are going to become people who are respected in Crete. They will see your conduct, admire you, and want in some way to be like you. You see, Paul was teaching Titus to teach a way of living that would serve as an alternative to the way of life of the people of Crete. Paul is telling them to build their lives, every component of their lives, and every component of their society, in a sense, on the demands of the gospel. And so what he's saying is that the individual Christ followers are to build their lives in a way that reflects the gospel. And when they do so, 
That is going to be a different way than they've lived before. But the way that they live now as followers of Jesus is going to be a better way of living than the way of life that they had before. He's telling them that if they organize their lives individually on the demands of the gospel, then they're naturally going to build homes that are organized on the demands of the gospel. And as he unpacks the demands of the gospel in a household, he he describes a, a way of living that is similar to the ideals of the ancient world that the people of Crete were not living up to. But as he describes this way of living that flows out of the gospel, not only is it similar to the ancient ideals, but it exceeds the ancient ideals in every way. And so what he is describing is a way of living that when the followers of Jesus live this way and organize their homes this way, then it stands as a witness to their society of an entirely better way of living that is available to the people of Crete. The Christian way of living would be better than anything the people of Crete had seen to that time. Why? Because sound doctrine leads to sound, healthy living as followers of Jesus. And sound living leads to sound, healthy households. And sound households produce a sound, healthy, thriving society. And so what Paul is telling Titus to do here is really to redesign and and offer an alternative to Cretan society from the bottom up, from the bottom up. You see, we anticipate what points of impact are going to look like normally. When we think of a point of impact, we, we envision someone sharing the gospel with another person and that person coming to faith in Christ. We recognize that as a point of impact. When we think of a point of impact, we think, too, of taking a new person who has become a follower of Jesus and discipling them to the place where they are a mature follower of Jesus. We recognize that as a point of impact. We we recognize building churches as being a place where we can have a point of impact. And at times, we even recognize that confronting the culture with its wrongness can be a point of impact for us. But what we find here is that the Apostle Paul is telling Titus that he has the opportunity to reshape the culture around him as his point of impact. As Titus teaches the followers of Jesus in Crete to live out the demands of the gospel in their lives, he is reshaping Cretan Christian homes. And as he reshapes Cretan Christian homes, he was offering an alternative that could reshape the foundations and the bedrock of Cretan society. And for Titus, reshaping Cretan society was the point of impact that God had designed for him. What a unique and wonderful point of impact. But now, as we back up and process everything that we're hearing from the life of Titus today, one of the things I hope you see is that points of impact come in many varieties. Points of impact come in many varieties. One of our world outreach partners gives us a great example of of the many varieties that points of impact can take. One of our, our, our world outreach partners, I'm going to be very discreet here, operates a coffee shop in a Central Asian country. 
Okay, that's all I can say to describe it. But this coffee shop operates on different rules than many of the other businesses in the area. This coffee shop employs people. And in employing people, they, they are treated fairly. They're given a fair wage, and they're given that wage on time, which is different than most of the employers in the area. The place where this coffee shop is located, many of the people around it are of a Muslim background, and so it is not permissible for the coffee shop to do Christian ministry overtly, but it serves as a gathering place for people in the community. And there are Christians in the community. And the Christians come there and use it as a place to do ministry. Beyond that, the owners of this coffee shop have established an online business enterprise. And in this online business enterprise, they are selling goods around the world. And the proceeds from those sales are serving to support the work of the churches in the area that struggle desperately financially. And so what we find is a business as mission owner having multiple points of impact. People are becoming followers of Jesus. Churches are being strengthened. Christian ministry is being done through the impact of a business owner in a Central Asian country. It's beautiful to see what many multiple points of impact can look like in the world. The points of impact that people have here at Valley are varied as well. They come in many varieties. There's one couple here at Valley whose point of impact is to go into a hospital on a regular basis and offer to pray with patients as a chaplain in the hospital and pray for their recovery and for their spiritual life. We have people here at Valley whose point of impact is writing or podcasting in order to influence people to exercise their faith in public ways. There are people here at Valley whose point of impact is teaching. There are people whose point of impact is parenting. Sometimes the point of impact is, create, is as creative as legislating or creating art or cooking. The points of impact that we can have in this world Understand this, the points of impact that we can have in this world are as multifaceted and as varied as the interests and the work of God in this world is. Do you understand the significance of that? Points of impact come in many varieties. Which brings us back to the question again, what is your point of impact? What is your point of impact? Sometimes as we seek to find out what our point of impact is in this world, it becomes absolutely fundamentally crystal clear to us immediately. But not always, not frequently. As we seek to understand where God has designed our point of impact in this world, we're called to think, to think broadly, to think clearly, and to think expectantly. What is your point of impact? I want to give you five steps today to determining your own point of impact. Five steps to determining your point of impact. Step number one is pray. Pray and fast at the beginning of your journey to discover your point of impact. 
Because you see, God is the one who is at work building his kingdom, and God is the one who gives us the gifts that we need, including our spiritual gifts and including our talents, our experiences, and our passions in life to impact the world. God is the one who gives these things. And so what we're seeking to discern is what God's will is for our point of impact. And so we pray at the beginning of that journey, and we pray along the way, seeking to discern and know the will of God. Step one, pray. Step two, brainstorm. Step two, brainstorm. I want to suggest to you today that you make four lists. Four lists. In list number one, I want to encourage you to brainstorm and write down, make a list of the gifts that God has given to you in life. This could include your spiritual gifts, but at the same time, it should include talents that, you've ha that you have, things that you're good at, training that you've been given. What are your gifts? List number two, I encourage you to write down the significant life experiences that you've had. Document your journey in life. Just make a list of the big turning points in your life. List number three, is write down the things that really bother you in this world. What, what really troubles you about the world around you? It could be the voice of God speaking to you about your point of impact. List number four is what really excites you about serving God. Because you see, sometimes God calls us away from our points of joy and happiness in serving him, but most of the time, God calls us to those things that he has given us a deep love and longing for. So brainstorm, four separate lists. Step number three, though, is curate. Curate, because you have to boil down those very long lists to some possibilities that help you to understand what God is saying to you. And the process is very simple. You begin to look at those lists side by side. You're going to see on those lists that some things will appear just one time. But as you look across those lists, you will find also that some things begin to appear in multiple places on different lists. For instance, you may discover that you're really good at listening, and you may remember back to when you were a young mom, how you struggled as a young mom, and you may have a passion for seeing that young moms have the resources that they need in life. When you begin to see a pattern, circle things and start to identify one to five areas where you see God working across multiple lists. That's step number three, curate. Step number four is test. And by test, we mean seek the counsel of wise Christ followers and give some things a try. As you've got your list of, let's say, five or fewer things, sit with a mature follower of Jesus and ask them to reflect on the possibilities with you. And as you begin to distill your possibilities down even further, try them out, volunteer, do something on a short-term basis and see if this is an area that God might be calling you into. Step number five, is choose. Pray, brainstorm, curate, test, choose. And when you choose, you should feel just a little sense of holy fear. Because when God is really speaking to us, we should feel that what he is calling us to do is just far enough outside of our comfort zone that we recognize that it's God's power at work in our lives. Choose. It should give you 
just a small jolt of fear. God has prepared a point of impact for you. God is the one at work in the world, building his kingdom, building righteousness and building justice and bringing followers to himself. And God has poured gifts into you that you might be of use to him. Each and every one of us has a point of impact where God can use us to change the world for Christ around us. What is your point of impact? If you know already, praise God. If you don't know, now is the time to begin asking. And keep asking until you know beyond a shadow of a doubt. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Valley Avon podcast. If you would like to hear more, you can subscribe for free on any platform you use. If you would like to visit us in person or would like to submit a prayer request, you can visit us on the web at avon.valleycommunity.cc. From all of us here at Valley Community Baptist Church, thank you for coming and have a blessed week.